and welcome to the Power of Sports podcast, where the jocks and geeks play to a nil-nil draw. On today's episode, we speak to Catherine Holland Fox, who is the director of KC 2026 FIFA World Cup bid, which is Kansas City, Missouri's bid to host the biggest mega event of them all, the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Prior to this position, Catherine was director of marketing and sales for the Greater Kansas City Sports Commission and Foundation. And she has also been executive director of the 2017 U.S. Figure Skating Championships. So listen in as we discuss the long process behind hosting the World Cup and the pros and cons of a city or region choosing to bid for the opportunity. See. I know. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. It's it's nice to see you again. I really appreciate you coming on the show and helping to inform my audience about Kansas City's bid for the 2026 World Cup. I'm really excited to get to learn more about that. But first, let's catch up a little bit. How yeah. have you been? I've been well. I've been well. Yeah, this is it's been a busy few months. I was working a little bit behind the scenes on helping facilitate some of the bid deliverables. But as it got closer to our site visit, I think we quickly realized our executive committee quickly realized we needed someone that was a little bit more of out front and organizing all of the entities across the city that needed to participate in that. So it was really nice to be tapped for that. And Joe worked on some big projects and some difficult projects. So this is a, a very unique one. It's I understand that. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a little bit of homework to try to figure out what it's all about. And I'm really excited to have you fill in the blanks because... Uh, it does seem like incredibly complicated and a long process Very long. between the time that, you know, a city says, well, we would like to host that, that event and then actually getting to host it. So yeah, before I do all that, if you don't mind, can, can we start from the, the very beginning? I like to start all these shows by talking to my guests about their involvement in sports, their experiences growing up. So I understand you were a three-sport athlete at Pembroke Hill High School in Kansas City. I, I was, Yes. But but how did sports become part of your life? I think I'd have to credit my parents, although it's funny that you ask that because I think in typical fashion, my mom enrolled me in ballet classes Mm -hmm. and I was terrible, absolutely terrible. And I dreaded going to ballet every week and I would literally throw temper tantrums in the car. And we, I saw some kids practicing, you know, soccer at the time. And I begged her, please, can I stop ballet? And can I start playing soccer? And it was long ago enough now that they didn't have girls soccer teams. And but a friend of mine and I really just desperately wanted to play. And so we actually became the first girls of our like kindergarten class or pre-kindergarten class that played as part of these all boys teams. And my mom will vouch for this story, but we were the best players on the team and we scored all the goals <laughs> and ran, ran circles around those boys. And honestly, soccer was probably my first sport, my first team sport in particular. I probably played tennis as a kid, but and then athletics just became a huge 
passion of mine. And I just, I loved obviously the team aspect of it. And and then it just wasn't a question. I wanted to play anything that I could anytime and had a lot of success as a high school athlete. I had probably the, I think I, we, we won a state championship in basketball when I was a sophomore and I was on that that team. Yeah. And honestly, my best sport was probably field hockey. I played goalie. I think because I had the soccer skills, the foot skills to clear the ball really far. And then I got recruited by some pretty, pretty big teams, but I had just made up my mind that I wanted to play soccer as my favorite sport. And even if I didn't play at the highest level, I just wanted to keep playing it as long as I could. Yeah. I think, and then when I started my career, I was lucky enough to spend, you know, some formidable years in New York on the, on a global marketing agency side managing sports and entertainment partnerships for American Express. So I just kind of, my love of participating in sports then just trickled over luckily into being able to market them and be involved with them in a, in a different capacity. So yeah, I'd say sports have been pretty much just a major factor of my growth and development since I was a little tiny one. Yes. And it sounds like that passion uh, that you had early on for sports uh, continues in the work you did. And I I always want to know about it sounds like your mother, you had to push her into getting involved in soccer, but were there other uh, mentors or or figures in your life that that encouraged you to you know pursue your athletic goals? I think just all the girls that we would that I would play with on on a regular basis. and I just I really loved being part of a team. And obviously, as I got older and was playing more premier, you know, in more premier leagues of soccer, that competition was different. So I'd play with a different group of girls in the summer and then obviously play with my high school team in in the spring. Soccer was a spring sport in Kansas City here. Individual mentors. I think I did have an uncle. One of my uncles actually played soccer really. And sorry. It was the, the kiddos. No. This was a a baseball bat I got in Japan. It's a Hunching Tigers plastic baseball bat, which obviously I shouldn't put where I put it because it falls very easily when the eater goes on. Anyway, yeah. sorry, you were saying? One of my um, most favorite uncles played professional soccer, um, actually in St. Louis. He played for the St. Louis Steamers. And then he actually was part of the Olympic team the year we boycotted Russia. Oh, it was a bummer. So he did not actually get to play, but he made the team. But an elite athlete, yeah. Yeah. And so I always looked up to him and admired, admired him. And, but then I think, yeah, I think any, you know, coach that I had and mostly the, the girls that I played with kept me interested. And, um, I think a lot of the work that we do here at the the sports commission would win for KC is emphasizing how important participating in sports can be for your development, both, you know, personally and professionally. So I'm certainly a testament to that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no question about it. So now let's now get into the bid itself and what yeah. is going on in the work that you're doing here. Because this is, as, as I think you had mentioned in, in one of the interviews I read, but this is the world's largest sporting event. And more eyeballs will be watching the World Cup than any other you know, single event. And I'm sure you're well aware these last Olympics in Tokyo were very controversial. You've got just today the news that the U.S. won't send government officials to Beijing for the the Winter Olympics that are upcoming in Beijing protests of those human rights abuses. So I have to yep. ask if these mega events are becoming more controversial year each year that passes. And and then, of course, there's FIFA, which everybody knows is a controversial body. So why yeah. would Kansas City want to host this world? Yeah, that's a very good question. And we've been bidding on this now for years, right? So we had to bid to be included in the original United 2026 bid that was submitted. And we had to go through several rounds of where they we'd rebid as they eliminated cities and then yeah. ultimately became included as in the final in the final number of cities competing against Morocco, which is interesting. I think that this 
is an incredible opportunity, not only for Kansas City, but for our region. So the entire Midwest, and that's a big theme of our bid is that these matches would be hosted in Kansas City. However, we know that we can draw from an entire region. You know, we, we sort of used to be considered this flyover state, right? Kansas City was this flyover city and a flyover region, and that we have a lot to offer as a region. And I think that we wanted to pitch uniting this area of the country to represent what we bring to, to the table as it relates, obviously, using the World Cup as a platform, but maybe being able to showcase some alternative thoughts around the perception of what the Midwest represents what the Midwest is. At the end of the day, it's also, to your point earlier, it's the largest single sport event in the world. I think we early on realized just from support that we could generate at the state level from both Kansas and Missouri, and we have the luxury of being a bi-state region. So mm-hmm. we've got Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri engaged. And there was a lot of support when we were originally having this conversation. And so when we realized that we could fund it, that we could figure out a way to fund it, there wasn't a lot of downside to throwing our hat in the ring and doing that. Kansas City has also come into its own in the past decade, I would say. There's been a lot of infusion into accelerating downtown development and growth and Mm -hmm. making that more of a destination. So from 2017 forward, it's aligned with our goals as a market and also as a sort of to solidify our reputation as of being a a legit sports town Mm -hmm. in this country. And the Royals and the Chiefs having success in recent years didn't hurt that value prop. And obviously we're fast forwarding quite substantially, but all of the investment in soccer as a sport, particularly in the women's side, the Kansas City Current that was recently just named the Kansas City Current, they're building the first national training facility dedicated to a women's soccer team. Oh, and then they're also, yes, and then they're also building their own stadium on the riverfront down here. So everything has just been moving in a positive direction as it relates to our region actually being pretty inclusive and supportive when it comes to athletics, which ties back to the human rights conversation, which has been a huge component of this. I think it's public information. This was the this is the first time that FIFA has included a very substantial requirement as it relates to human rights within the bid process. So we have been tasked. Yeah. So we've been tasked with having difficult conversations internally. They retained an independent consultant who basically created a report on every single bidding city and identified potential issues tied to human rights that each market might face and that we would be forced to mitigate. And so we've had ongoing conversations over the course of of this process with them about understanding the incredible responsibility that comes with being a World Cup host city and also being very transparent with steps that we will need to take to make sure that we are getting out in front of and managing those concerns should they arise. Mm-hmm. So that's been an interesting component of this whole process. I bet. I bet that's I bet that's very interesting and also very difficult to manage because there's probably a lot of things that are beyond your control, I would imagine. What are some examples they are, of, of, of potential issues that, that a city might run into in, the, in that regard? Yeah. So one of them, we have some challenges around houseless people right now. Mm-hmm. So they identified that. There was concerns around landlords trying to capitalize on evicting tenants to capitalize on short-term rentals that would be tied to the World Cup. Because if we become a, we will definitely be a base camp for maybe multiple teams. Sure. And so their fans obviously come, they travel with the team, they live near the team while the team's training, and then the team will travel to their individual games. So we had to show that there was 
protective legislation in place that would not allow some of those tenants to evict, I'm sorry, landlords to evict tenants in order to capitalize on it. And if that did become an issue that we could get the right people around the table to further increase the protections around that. So there were some non-discrimination, yeah, there were some non-discrimination concerns that came up that, that we needed to address at the state level, which is interesting. A human trafficking with any large-scale sporting event, that is a serious issue yes. and one that we would be tasked with putting together a, you know, a comprehensive plan in place to make sure we combat that as much as possible. They're not issues that are unique to Kansas City. I'm sure every market that's, that's bidding has their fair share of issues like that to deal with, but they are, there's an emphasis on it that hasn't been there before. Mm-hmm. For some of the reasons that you've mentioned, like they haven't exactly had the greatest reputation as an organization. Mm-hmm. Cutter has been a challenge. Workers' rights is another one that they were very concerned about, protecting the labor force here to make sure that, again, we weren't taking advantage of, of them to bring this major event. Instead, we were empowering them to make sure they were a part of the conversations to make sure that they were protected along the way. So it's definitely, it's caused us to think about things in a different way way that we haven't necessarily had to think about with other major sporting events. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I want to talk about that comparison because I know you've managed other sporting events in the past. And so I wanted to get to that comparison in just a minute. But before we do that, if, can we just go one step back, take my listeners through this bid process? Like how does sure. it actually happen? Because I confess, I had no idea how lengthy it is. And right now the Kansas City is in a good position. And as you said, has already been made one cut. But what what's happening now? And where did we start? And where do we finish? What are the dates yeah. on your calendar that are circled? Yes. Um, so can you see that slide? I can, yeah. Okay. April 2017, it was announced the United 2026 bid was happening. So this was a collaboration between Canada, the United States, and Mexico mm-hmm. to work together to submit a three-country bid to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. So then they put out the call for individuals on July 17th, and they accepted 52, you know, cities that that wanted to apply to be part of that, considered as part of that bid. And they had their own bid process. So they would outline the deliverables that we needed to provide as that KC, as I'm sorry, as that United 2026 bid committee was deciding who they wanted to include. And then they whittled that list down from 52 to 35 cities in August. We had to submit another version of our bid book with some more refined responses to questions. And then obviously in October, the second shortlist was announced. And then finally, in March of 2018, they identified 16 U.S. cities that would be included in in the bid. And they identified, I think it was at the time, three Canadian cities mm-hmm. and three Mexican cities. Mm-hmm. It was originally Edmonton, Toronto, and right. Montreal subsequently dropped out, right. dropped out which that. changes our landscape a little bit. And we were told during our site visit that they're looking at all 22 bidding cities mm-hmm. and they're going to pick the best 16. So it mm-hmm. could be that Canada gets one, Mexico gets two, and then the United States gets the balance. It could be a mix that's different than what we had an- anticipated. Regardless, like our, our chances are pretty good. Yeah, to make it this far is quite a, an accomplishment in and of itself, isn't it? it? It is. So again, our first phase of bidding was that we were bidding to be um, accepted by the United 2026 bid. So once we were in there, then they submitted the bid to FIFA for consideration. FIFA awarded the bid to the United 2026 committee in March of 2018. And then literally, Aaron, that committee dissolved. <laughs> they just they just went away. And it was then it was every city for themselves. And so then we started direct communication with U.S. soccer 
on the next phase of the bid, which was competing against these other cities to be named a host. We had an initial inspection visit with them in April of 2018. Oh, actually, I got ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. They came to inspect the United States cities and the Mexican cities and the Canadian cities. And I'm sorry, they selected the United 2026 bid in June of 2018. Okay. So from 2018 to now, we have literally been submitting bid materials as requested by FIFA via U.S. soccer. And that could be anything from agreements with the airport, host stadium budget submissions, training sites, what training sites we identified as part of our bid, where we wanted to host FIFA Fan Fest. So it's just been human rights component. So it's been this ongoing, continued dialogue with them where they request materials, we prep them, we submit them through this this portal. But really the, the, you know, final opportunity for Kansas City to put their very best foot forward was this site visit, this massive site visit that just happened in October, on October 21st. And that was four weeks, four to five weeks of just prepping that. But you took over as the director of this just before that, I understand. So that must have formally. been an undertaking. Formally. You'd been working behind the scenes before that, you said. Yeah. 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 There was actually another a director in place that, that, that had then moved on to another opportunity in like early 2018. And then, it, mm-hmm. and then there weren't a lot of, obviously COVID happened. So they're a year behind. But yes, I was just managing behind the scenes all of the, the formal paper slash digital deliverables, if you will. Mm-hmm. That we needed to su- submit to them. And then again, leading into the site visit, it was determined that there needed some to be someone at the helm of the ship, mm-hmm. making sure that we were getting everything that we needed to get done in it for this October 21st meeting, which was that they had a delegation of 26 people that flew in. We had a massive host city meeting in the morning that was attended, you know, by again, Governor Parson of Missouri, Lieutenant Governor David Tolan of Kansas. So it was this was our like opportunity to really show off and show off Kansas City. And obviously getting out to Arrowhead and showcasing that venue was a critical piece of that. Because I understand that Arrowhead, is it the only stadium in Kansas City that has the capacity? Because I think FIFA has a 40,000 person minimum capacity yeah. for for their matches, right? Yeah. So Children's Mercy Park is our is where Sporting KC plays. And right. it, yeah, it's just not, it's not big enough. Right. It's substantially smaller than Arrowhead. So yes, Arrowhead is is our competition venue. It seems actually quite interesting that's a requirement in the in this day and age. I can understand ticket sales and all that, but most of the money must be coming from media rights, no? On their side? Yeah. Yeah, and they don't... So, so what are they I mean, doing about those 20,000 fans? It's, it's the responsibility of the cities, the markets, to fund it, media rights and ticket sales. And those that, that 20,000... Difference because how much does the Sporting KC stadium hold? Yeah, that's a good question. So Arrowhead's 76. Oh, wow. Okay. So it is like, quite a considerable difference. Then. It is. It's a lot different. Arrowhead's the sixth largest NFL stadium in the country. I think Children's Mercy. Does anyone know what Children's Mercy seats? I mean, I was asking my colleague. That's okay. Yeah, it's not. Children's Mercy is only 18,000. Oh, so, right. so, so it's it's a significant difference. But yeah. But the meteorites are the big the whopping amount of revenue that FIFA will yeah. stand to gain. And so if Kansas City is successful, then what? How many matches do you suspect to hold? Because the final isn't been determined either, right? Like where that would be. Yeah. It could be at Arrowhead. Arrowhead, 76,000. Great stadium, great fans. 
as everybody watches the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, and that could be a, a fantastic World Cup final venue, couldn't it? I think our instinct is that they might be looking for a New York, New Jersey, LA, Atlanta. I, I think that we are probably looking at quarterfinal matches okay. we expect to be hosting five to seven matches if we're awarded for awarded host city duties mm -hmm. um but again that could change too depending on how the how the ultimate sort of lay of the land shakes out as it relates to all all world cup host cities and what we have going for us is we're no more than a four-hour flight from any host potential host city in Canada, Mexico, or the United States. Mm -hmm. So yes, we are very centrally located. We've got a brand new airport opening next year, billion dollar single ter terminal airport that we can neg probably negotiate some lights around that time and make sure that we're accommodating inbound traffic and things like that. I think it would be amazing if we were awarded finals, but I think we're probably thinking it's a, it's a more of a internationally recognized market that might get that. Although again, if we have the opportunity to host anything, I think that just helps elevate um, the perception of our city and our region yes. exponentially. And so. geographically, it seems to me, Kansas City being in the heart of the country makes a lot of sense, not only because it's the heart yes. of the country, but it's also the heart of the region that has won this bid because you've got Canada, you've got Mexico. So okay. being right in the geographic center of the all the nations that are involved in the bid, that, that would make some sense for a yeah. final host too. But anyway, I think it's great that Kansas City is going for this and I certainly hope that you're successful. So as I understand, there's now an expanded field uh, yes. for, the, for these World Cups. And so there's, I think, 48 teams now, 16 groups of three apiece. Yep. Is that right? Yes, yep. And so you said five to seven matches potentially, and they mm -hmm. would all be held at Arrowhead. But they you would. wouldn't know who the countries that would be playing. It would all be decided randomly by FIFA or how yeah. it work. Yes. So I think we would be given the dates and the rounds mm -hmm. of the matches. And then depending on what teams, how that shakes out. Yeah, we wouldn't know that until obviously much closer to the tournament. And that certainly has an impact as well. We expect to benefit the, the return on investment is substantial, regardless of what teams end up playing in Kansas City. However, obviously, if there's a Brazil or Germany or someone like that who's who uh, is playing here, and then that's just it's just a different stratosphere that you're talking about from an international team standpoint. We could often get asked to provide more detailed projections from an ROI from an yeah. economic impact standpoint. That's difficult for us to do at this point of any information that we have. I think we'll right. be able to get closer there once we um, are awarded matches and really can dig in to, with FIFA about actual cost to host a fan fest. Right. We dig into the real cost of the modifications that are required to Arrowhead. And then what people also forget is that we have to put Arrowhead back. So right. for the we used to have to yeah. pay for it twice. But our ROI would be substantial. We're a much, frankly, like we're a cheaper market than some of these other mm -hmm. bigger cities to activate in. And I think what we've been able to show FIFA is that again, because of our bi-state region and our size, like we can get the governor on the phone in a second and get some legislation filed to make their tickets tax exempt, things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're a little bit more nimble than mm -hmm. I would imagine a San Francisco you know, <laughs> right. in LA. And we can get the right people around the table in a timely fashion. And I think FIFA has been a little bit um, surprised by that. We get all the people that we need on this call and I think they know yeah. that, that we can accommodate.
I'm glad you you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about the stakeholders. Who are the, the key people involved in the work that you're yeah. doing right now? The, the state of Missouri, state of Kansas, Jackson County, which is the county that Kansas City, Missouri sits in. It's mm. also the county that technically our Arrowhead is, a, is, a, is owned by the county as a venue. It's owned by the county and leased Sorry. to the teams. Huh. So it's a county asset. And then Kansas City, Missouri, and then Wyandotte County and Kansas City, Kansas which is just on the other side, obviously on the other side of the state line. That's where Sporting KC plays. That's where Children's First Park sits. So there's very collaborative effort from them as well to help support this initiative. So from a financing perspective, those are the main entities. We expect support from the teams and we'll have to go fundraise some private dollars as well from area companies who are interested in supporting the endeavor. And I think we'll probably be able to tap into some federal funds at some point. Once they've once they've identified which American cities are going to be participating, then we're probably all going to get together sure. and lobby the federal government for some support for hosting these this massive event across the country. It really would be. It would be enormous for them. Yeah. And talking about stakeholders at Arrowhead Stadium, I was reading about Lamar Hunt who yeah. I think you mentioned in one of the interviews I've read, a very fascinating story, fascinating biography, I should say, not just Lamar Hunt, who uh, you know, passed away in 2006, but his whole family. I think I understood his father was an oil tycoon. Yeah. And, and and I think when he passed away, I read he was known as the, the richest man in the world at the time. But anyway, Lamar Hunt, he grows up in, in lingerie, I imagine. And then he yeah. becomes a key force in sports in Kansas City. And starts the American Football League, and then he helps merge it with the NFL to become modern day NFL, comes up with the term Super Bowl, yep. which I didn't know. And of course, is the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, which I must imagine is the most important sporting force in Kansas City. Am I wrong about that? It is. Sporting might disagree with you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I know it's a big soccer town too, but. Yeah, yeah. The Chiefs are pretty dominant, the Chiefs and Royals, but certainly right now, particularly with our team and Patrick Mahomes and, yeah. and, you know, the excitement is, is helpful for the chiefs, but yeah, they're a dominant force and Lamar helped start the MLS. That's right. So that doesn't go unnoticed by FIFA and U S soccer as well. Well, and that's why I brought him up actually, because I'm glad you mentioned it because I understand that he got pushback back in the sixties from NFL executive or not executives, but owners who didn't want him to be promoting soccer in the United States, because this is the big, Bigger question that lurks behind all this. How big is soccer going to get in, in the U.S. where yeah. basketball, football, and baseball have always been the top sports, at least professionally? And so soccer is this really popular sport growing up among kids. My, my own six-year-old is playing. He loves soccer. I hope he sticks with it, but who knows? Maybe he'll switch yeah. to another sport someday, as a lot of young athletes do. And Hunt, I think, understood that this was a business opportunity to promote yeah. soccer in the United States, but he gets this pushback from other NFL owners. And what role does his legacy play in this bid process for you? It's been it's been a focus. It was a, a particular focus while the delegation was in town on the 21st. Mm -hmm. Clark Hunt, yeah, is his son, and he's so he's the chairman and CEO of the Chiefs. Interestingly, their their family owns the Dallas FC team. And then Lamar Hunt Jr. is actually very involved in ice hockey here. So he owns Kansas City, the Mavericks, which is, I think it's EHL team but Clark was has been an active participant in this process he spoke at the top of our host city meeting and conveyed everything that, that you just conveyed reiterated the legacy of Lamar and how he originally built Arrowhead with two goals to host a world cup match and to host a super bowl 
Okay. That was a while ago. And our venue, it's an older one, although truthfully, when you're at Arrowhead, like it does not feel old. I've never been there. What's it like? I know you were I knew you were at the game on Sunday night. I saw I was, on, yeah. on Facebook. What's it like to go to a game at Arrowhead? It's amazing. It's it is it's an incredible venue. What everybody all of the the commentary about how difficult it is for an NFL team to play there because of the the how loud it is and how boisterous the fan base is. It's all it's all right. It's incredibly exciting. It's a beautiful venue and it's really stood the test of time. It's one of the most classic NFL stadiums out there. And they've done a good job of keeping up with the necessary renovations behind the scenes and in the bowels and all of that and installing new video boards and improving seats and, and things like that. But it's an experience in and of itself. And it's really funny. One of the slides that we had in our host city meeting was we hold the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest stadium in the world. And we took that honor a few words from Galatasaray in Turkey, which is like a very famous soccer stadium. So it was really funny to be able to say to FIFA, like, Galatasaray used to be the loudest stadium in the world, but Arrowhead now is since 2014. And Arrowhead um, never had a World Cup map, so it couldn't be even louder. Yeah, exactly. A well, matches. If you got the final, it could be even louder, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Clark was really, he was really compelling in, in reminding them about how important Lamar has been to the sport of soccer. Certainly domestically, but there's an obvious kind of spillover effect internationally as well. And they all know him. And I think having Clark be such an active participant um, in that site visit and in conversations since then is a real show of, again, like what Kansas City is committed to doing to make this an incredible event for them. And like any, it's always interesting to have multiple ownership groups from different sports involved. But one of the cool things that we did was at our lunch and our media event, we had John Sherman, who's the owner of the Royals, Cliff Illig, the owner of Sporting KC, Clark. And then we had Chris and Angie Long, who were the owners of the KC Current. They were all at the media event together. And obviously we strategically positioned them with some of the big wigs from FIFA. And John Sherman, MLB owner, they might be displaced for some time during the 2026 World Cup because Truman's Sports Complex has both. And he's just, he's like, whatever you need. Whatever it takes, this is bigger than you know. Where would they play? If they were, I think they just re they'd rework their schedule a little bit. We're not going to be the only city that's faced with that, and I think we just work with the MLB well in advance to make sure that the, that they rework their schedule. But it could be potential lost revenue for them, right? Of course, because if they don't get to they get to host fewer games because of the World Cup, that's a revenue consideration. But to be able to have those ownership groups say to FIFA like. We understand that this is bigger than soccer at the end of the day. Like this is this whole city and all of our sports teams are behind this. And John was like, you do whatever you need to do. We'll work with you. We want to support this. So that was that's really That's really fascinating because like you say, if there is potential lost revenue, that that shows a perception of of gain, maybe not yep. only financially, but gain for the city of Kansas City. Yep. And and I know you mentioned earlier that it's too soon at this point to estimate return on investment. But can you ballpark just general figures? What would this, yeah. what would hosting five to seven World Cup matches mean? Yeah. Kansas City. So there was a, a Boston consulting study that was done in, in 2018 that estimated up to $620 million in incremental economic impact for a region. Wow. Now, again, that's, there's some variables there depending on what teams are playing, what round you get. But we're pretty confident. Listen, we're, we're Kansas City, we're a sports town. 
this is a once going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of people. Worth it. We're within a day's drive for 55 million people. We've got endorsements from the Youth Soccer Association's eight surrounding Midwestern states. Like I have no doubt that we will fill that stadium at every match, no matter what team, just so that everyone can experience being part of a World Cup. Yeah, no doubt. And I just think of all the kids too, if they were able to go to that one of those matches, yeah. said you know that maybe they would pick soccer over football or. Basketball, yeah. baseball, who knows? But and then, let me go. Let me, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Creation, economic impact with hotels. When we're talking like literally when we're awarded in early 2022, we got to hit the ground running. We have to have Arrowhead ready for exhibition matches to be hosted like a year out so they could test the field and test test the pitch and make sure that everything is, is functioning correctly. So it's not just it's significant economic impact over a period of, you know, four to five years and beyond with a legacy project and things like that. Yeah, it'd be tremendous for our region. You mentioned the the pitch. Would it have to be changed since it's it's set up right now for football? Would it be yeah. have to be changed for yeah. foot, football? So we'd have to remove some seats in the lower bowl at Arrowhead to accommodate the specifications. And then also FIFA has very specific guidelines for field management requirements. So specific ventilation system that needs to be installed underneath the the grass to manage that because their goal is to make every single pitch exactly the same no matter what venue you're at so that there's a level playing field across the board yeah and then there's some we might have to modify some of the hospitality spaces a little bit to accommodate their needs but really it has to do with the pitch they are very the type of grass the measurements filtration ventilation sprinklers all that stuff so incredible incredible that's really fascinating yeah and i it, may, it makes me, you know, really wonder about FIFA and and think about the recent last six years and all the controversy uh, over corruption in FIFA yeah. and stuff like that. And I imagine I'm not the first person to ask you about all of that. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier what your thoughts are, but yeah, it's a pockmarked organization, isn't it? It is. It is. It's been interesting because there's been several new components that FIFA has been dealing with through this bid process. Obviously, they've got a new group. People, my understanding is that they are leaning into U.S. soccer a lot more than maybe they have some of the other countries' governing body, soccer governing bodies. They're real. They're really like looking to U.S. soccer to help direct and provide guidance through this whole process. Mm-hmm. I think what they didn't fully realize. Well, so let me finish. So then that, then there's the expanded field, which is a challenge, and then there's the three country component. Right which I think that they were really excited about, but maybe didn't fully understand how different each of those countries are. Of course. And so like they go to Qatar or Russia or South Africa and they're literally contracting with one country and then the that country contracts out with individual cities. Mm-hmm. This time they're literally have entering into 22 or what have you different mm-hmm. contracts with different entities. So... Dallas, they might be contracting with the city of Dallas. Us, we're talking about setting up our own LLC that's comprised of several different entities. So that's a different business model that they have sure. to contract with. So I think I think they're learning a lot as well. And the human rights component. Them getting out front and um, being very transparent about their process as it relates to that and engaging some third parties to keep them on track and keep them aware of the issues that they might face coming to the United States. I think all of those presented a different set of challenges for them that they've had to adapt to. At the same time, we are the United States, Canada, and Mexico. So 
there's a different infrastructure in place. There's modifications that need to happen, but there's not like straight up builds that need to happen anywhere right. um, from a new stadium standpoint. So they're automatically not going to have to deal with some of the challenges they've dealt with in, in Qatar, for example, or other countries that didn't have the infrastructure. I have to think that was probably part of what that led them to de- select the United 2026 bid over Morocco because they would have had to build t- many stadiums from the ground up in Morocco to host that host that event. I read that in Qatar they were planting trees and grass in the desert. Yeah. Like, like they were doing all sorts of things that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yes. And so as specific and challenging as they might sometimes appear to be when they're talking us through all of these necessary modifications, it's still a more financially viable option for them than build a whole bunch of stadiums. Of course. And they've been an interesting entity to deal with. Like I said, we've really dealt with them through U.S. soccer unless unless we're participating in meetings specifically with them. But a lot of the questions that we have, we go through U.S. soccer and they funnel them to FIFA and then come back to us. And will that continue to be the way things work if you are successful early next year getting them. I don't I don't know and I don't know if they know um, okay because I think they're also still figuring out how to how they're going to work with U.S. soccer as an entity after the selection process because as you say this is the first time there's ever been three countries together I know Japan yeah. and Korea had the 2002 yeah. and then they World Cup together they hosted it together but then after that there was a ban on multiple country bidding for a little while. Oh, was I there? I, I didn't even I, know if that was... I think I read that. I think I read that they didn't want multiple countries to host after that, and then they ch- they ch- changed it back well, recently. Now, coming out of our site visit, they indicated that they thought they'd never go back to a single country host. Oh, how interesting. Now, maybe when they get through this one, they might, re- <laughs> they might rethink that, but I definitely think it's a model they're interested in pursuing more, like down the road. Let me switch gears just a little bit. Yeah, because I want to talk also about about the issue of gender. You mentioned how you grew up playing um, soccer, but you had to really you know, push to play. It wasn't something that just came. And obviously, we're this whole conversation about the Men's World Cup, but you did have a sold-out U.S. women's national team game to show off to the FIFA representatives. Yeah. And obviously, you have Clark and Angie Long, I think it is, Chris and yeah. Angie Long, they, who bought the Utah women's professional soccer team and then yep. moved it to Kansas City in 2020. And it actually it was a bad process, right? Yeah. And, it, and that team was in Kansas City first, then went to Utah and they brought them back, actually. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they, so their work, it must be championed in, in Kansas City. There must be a lot of, have a lot of fans themselves there. But what does the future of women's soccer look like in Kansas City? You don't have to say, no, we're not talking about that for this particular bid process, but yeah. you know, what, what are your hopes there? I think it's, I think it's incredibly bright and they, they are, working on growing that, that sport, that I guess that sector of that sport mm-hmm. in all the right ways, right? Like with a league that's obviously had some challenges in recent months, but those two are, they're self-funding everything. So they're building this training site for the, specifically for the women's team. They're breaking ground on this stadium that's going to be $70 million in private money. Like they're not levying a tax on, on, on citizens at all. And they're just, they're having the right conversations. They're committed to bringing in the right players. And I think it's going to be incredible that the team was very popular before the ownership group took it to Utah. And I think there were a lot of people that were confused as to why they left in the first place. And so it's been really nice to have them committed to bringing that back 
and bringing that team back. And they've been incredibly supported and well-received in their first season. They're going to be playing at Children's Mercy Park next season while their own stadium is being constructed. I think I mentioned before during the meeting, Cindy Parlo-Cone, who is the interim president of U.S. Soccer, to close out U.S. Soccer's comments, really celebrated Chris and Angie Long and the Casey Current for being a trailblazers for women's soccer and, again, constructing the first ever trainings that are dedicated to a women's soccer team. I think FIFA you know, and U.S. soccer are very impressed by that and impressed by that commitment to the game across the board. So we're committed to growing women's soccer. We're committed to growing youth soccer. We're committed to growing coaching opportunities and coaching education opportunities and things like that. So it couldn't have come at a better time selfishly for us. And again, it's also just more resources for our city to be able to leverage, like putting my World Cup hat off and putting on my sports commission hat. Mm-hmm. These types of venues that we can like partner with Casey Current to include in bids for collegiate sporting events are huge. Having sure. that type of space for us to be able to leverage is it's just great. It's great for us. It's great for the city. Absolutely. Yeah. And and and, and it has to be so. Women's the women's national team of the US is more competitive globally than the men's. We are talking here about the men's World Cup because that's what you happen to be uh, directing. Yeah. <laughs> but the women's team is incredibly successful on the global stage, not just competitive. And they're, they're the best. Yeah. And so I'm curious, down the road, would Kansas City also like to host the, the Women's World Cup? Yeah, potentially. It's funny, as a fast follower to this, we've been asked to bid on the uh, Men's and Women's uh, Rugby World Cup. Uh-huh. They're tagging the current swath of potential World Cup cities and saying, hey, if you can do the FIFA World Cup, you could probably do the Rugby World Cup. Do you guys want to bid on it? Yes. So absolutely. I think if the opportunity presented itself, Kansas City would be perfectly positioned to bid on these types of major events for both men's and women's athletics. And what's the trickle down beyond the the ROI? Because we've already talked about that. But what's the trickle down effect of having these mega events? hosted by Kansas City. I know you mentioned at the beginning of our our conversation today that this perception that people in Kansas City feel that they're a flyover state. Is there a trickle down that dispels that that myth? Or how do people see themselves after hosting an event like this? I think that because of the international travelers that will visit Kansas City, they'll feel the the quote unquote Midwestern hospitality that we are very well known for. Sure. We already had a little bit of of a boost uh, during the Women's World Cup. I don't know if you watched it all, but they kept a lot of the broadcasts showed our power and light district where we were doing some launch parties and they were like the biggest wash parties in the country. People really turned out. I know there's the FIFA Fan Fest component that that we have to build out a fan fest that sits there for a month that people can come and, and interact with obviously FIFA sponsors, but then we're hoping to fold in some local restaurants and things from Kansas City. So I think the trickle-down effect is, is just the perception of the Midwest and elevating that on the global stage. Obviously, there's a financial trickle-down as well. And then and selfishly from our our perspective, like if we host the World Cup and we're going to bid on other events, like literally like it's the greatest sales tool we could ever you know, showcase. We'd be like, well, we did the World Cup. So I think we can handle the men's final four. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like provided that we can... We don't have a venue that would support that quite yet, but it certainly makes our pitch to for other events to come here just a little bit easier to make yes. if they know that we have hosted the world's largest sport. You've sold me, Kat. <laughs> I only hope that if you are successful in getting the bid, somehow I can uh, 
get get my way to Kansas City to watch absolutely up to seven matches. But uh, absolutely, you know, it's been really a pleasure to to catch up with you and learn about this whole process. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're likewise. Ready. Yeah, yeah. Tell Suzanne and the kiddos that I said hello. I I will. I hope you're getting some that. sleep. No, not at all. <laughs> that's, but, okay. Um, that's okay. That's there's more to life than sleep. And yeah, thank you so much. And, and good luck with the rest of the process. Thank I know it's you. a long one and there's a lot to do, but I'm rooting for Kansas City. Thank you. Yeah, we pretty much have till literally 11.59 on January 30. I'm sorry, December 31st, get all of our final materials in. And then we just wait, wait and see if we got it. So good luck. thank you. I'm thank sure you, I'm sure you guys have a very good chance and I'm looking forward to, I, to that. I good feel news. good about it. I okay. feel good about it. All right. All right, Cap. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. Well, that will wrap up our show today. Best of luck to the people of Kansas City on their World Cup bid. I hope you're enjoying listening to this podcast as much as I enjoy making them. If you have any guest ideas or would like to connect with me for any other reason, please visit my website, www.aaronlmiller.com. That's A-A-R-O-N, L as in Larry, Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R.com, and drop me a line. I always love hearing from my listeners, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.